Good morning. I'd like to welcome all our visitors and guests that we have with us this morning and also those listening on radio to our worship service at First Church. Several announcements before we start. The rose on the altar this morning is in honor of Gordon and Jean Coffin, who will be celebrating 52 years of marriage tomorrow, December 18th. So congratulations to both of you. The giving tree that supports the baby boutique at Elizabeth's New Life Center in Sydney is up in the back of the sanctuary and will be up there through Christmas Eve. Congratulations go out to Craig and Brooke Motor on the birth of their daughter, Mackenzie Lynette, who arrived on Tuesday, December 12th. Grandparents are Kirk and Sharon Stineker and Lee and Jeanette Motor. The children's Christmas program will be this morning at 1030. In between the end of this service and the beginning of the program, the junior and senior high youth will be providing refreshments in the Heritage Room. Also in the Heritage Room this morning, you can pick up your First Church logo clothing orders. They are ready for them to be picked up today. Next Sunday being Christmas Eve, we'll have two services that day. The first one will be at 9 o'clock in the morning as we wrap up the Advent series. And then later on that evening, we'll be celebrating the traditional candlelight service at 7.30 p.m. So we encourage you to invite your friends and neighbors to come over to either one of those services or both as we welcome the newborn king. I have one other announcement I was just given this morning, and this is twofold. There's somebody here with a birthday this morning, and we also want to score points for Clinton Hirschfeld. As his mother-in-law celebrates her birthday today, her name is Kathy Burgess. So if we could say... Burnus. Thank you. Where's Eric at? Okay. So happy birthday, Kathy. At this time, I'd like to invite... Brian and Becky Jones, along with their family, to come forward for the lighting of the Advent candle. As we gather around the Advent wreath today, we rejoice that Christmas is a time of prayer and of open hearts when we sing songs of joy. Christmas is a time of worship, the moment when the busiest of us pause and wonder. Christmas happens when God comes to us in love through Jesus Christ and fills us with love for all people. The first scripture reading is from John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We light this candle to proclaim the coming of the light of the world, of the light of God into the world. With the coming of this light, there is love. Such great love helps us to love God and one another. The second scripture is John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. See you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Let us pray. 
Oh God, we thank you that Jesus showed your love for every person, babies and children, old people and young, sick people and those who are strong, rich people and those who are poor. Come to us in this Advent season and give us love in our hearts for all people. Amen. And now would you please stand for opening hymn number 136, The First Noel.
may be seated. Keep in mind the family of friends, of soldiers that we have lost in the last week. In Afghanistan, Staff Sergeant David Thomas Brabender, 24, from Anchorage, Alaska. In South Korea, Sergeant Eric Schenk, 33, from Placerville, California. And among the 200 stationed in the Ukraine, Specialist Joseph J. Nelk, 21, from Pittsburgh, New York, and killed in a live training fire exercise in Fort Stewart, Georgia, Sergeant Michael T. Trask, 31, from Alala, Washington. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to gather and and worship you this morning, uh, lifting up our voices together in song, and now focusing our hearts and our minds together in prayer, lifting up these concerns to you. I thank you for all that are gathered here today, especially for the children for the children's program this later this morning. I pray that you would bless that time. I pray that it would be a joyous and fun and exciting occasion, Lord, uh, that we can all enjoy and, and seeing your word and your truth and the, and the real meaning of Christmas proclaimed through the mouths of children. And so I thank you for, for them and, and all the effort and the work that they put into that. And I pray, Lord, also for those that are gathered here, families, friends, um, guests that we have with us today, that it would be a blessing to all who are able to witness it. I do want to lift up our concerns uh, that are listed in our bulletin. I pray, Lord, that you would work in each of those situations, that your grace, your strength, um, your, your mercy, Lord, would be with those people and those families that are listed. Um, for healing, Lord, we pray that you would uh, provide that. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the, the gift and the miracle of modern medicine and all of the advancements that we've made. And, and pray, Lord, that you continue to, to work in and through people, um, whether they're facing chemotherapy treatments or surgeries or, or the unknown, Lord. Um, we pray that you would provide um, by your hand what exactly they need in those moments. Um, Lord, we also know that there's more than just uh, physical healing that, that we need to pray for. We pray for spiritual healing. We pray for, for mended relationships. We pray, Lord, um, that your name would be made great in this service and in, in this community, and that many people, Lord, would learn to, to put their hope and their trust in you no matter what they face in this life. We thank you for the love that you've put on display through your son, Jesus Christ, and, and that we get to celebrate his, his birth, his arrival here, um, this, this time of year and the love and the hope and the joy and the peace that that brings. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Uh, just one quick announcement I want to make before, as as the usher, or excuse me, as the as those who are helping with the offering come are coming forward to to help with that. Um, many of you probably picked up your hymnals and and opened, and something fell out of there. Uh, this is something that that is just in the in the pews for the first time. It's just an opportunity to explain how we have online giving is available. Um, so some of you may not. Um, 
Some of you are already using this, but some of you may not be sure about it or, or not know all about it. And so this is an opportunity to just learn a little bit about our online giving. Um, and it's an opportunity to, to do that as well. And I just wanted to, to make that known and point that out to you as, as we're preparing to take the offering this morning. Uh, the offering does go towards the general fund, and the choir will be blessing us with a rendition of Shepherds Tell the News.
you to remain standing for our scripture reading today. And if you have a Bible of your own or would like to follow along in one of the pew Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20 for our scripture reading today. Once again, that's Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had, angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now I invite you to once again pick up your hymnals and let's turn. Got to find my bulletin here. Turn, thank you. Turn to 132, Angels We Have Heard on High.
be seated. Father, thank you once again for the opportunity to, to stand here and to proclaim your word. I pray that you would uh, give me words to speak. I pray that you would uh, help me to clearly communicate the message that you have uh, in store for us this morning. And I pray you would open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. We've been talking several weeks now about these songs of Christmas, these four uh, passages where we're dealing with the birth of Jesus, where people, characters in these stories, just break out into song and a praise of God in response to hearing about the good news of Christ's birth. Uh, it's interesting, so far we've heard from Mary, the mother of Jesus, we've heard from Zechariah, the, the father of John, the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, and today we're going to hear a little bit of a different perspective, the angel song is the only one of the four uh, of these songs that we're looking at that doesn't come from a human perspective. This song is the, or the words of angels, the God's messengers proclaiming the news and, and celebrating the news of Christ's birth. And so we get a little different perspective and a little interesting take on it in that way. But before we jump into that passage and take a look at what the angels had to say regarding Christ's birth, um, I just want to take a moment and just rewind a couple verses and, and remind us about the, the circumstances of Jesus' birth. The first seven verses of chapter 2 describe uh, the birth of Christ, and it really is a surprising birth if you think about it. It's a surprising one because we've seen so far these, this great praise. We've had two different instances already of angels announcing the arrival of, of, of Christ to to different people, to Mary and, and then to Zechariah as well, um, dealing with John the Baptist there as well. But we've had, we've had an announcement from heavenly messengers describing the birth of Christ. Um, in the songs of praise that we've already studied, you'd expect that, that this child that is to be born, that Jesus will be born in some important place and with a lot of fanfare. Right? You'd expect a lot of, of commotion to accompany the birth of, of someone who's, who was announced by angels and celebrated already with songs of praise. But we see here in these opening verses of Luke chapter 2 that we get quite the contrast. That Jesus wasn't born with a whole lot of fanfare, or at least earthly fanfare. Jesus was born in the most humble of circumstances. Right? You'd expect a king to be born in a palace with, with people attending around there and providing for every need of the mother and the child. But instead, we get a picture of, of Jesus and being born in a manger because Mary and Joseph couldn't find anywhere else to go that night. They were homeless. They were without a place, uh, without a roof to put over their heads. Born with no earthly fanfare. In these humble circumstances, Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the the Lord, was born in a very humble situation. And so we get this interesting contrast. We're we're still talking about this event 2,000 years later, right? We're still, we're talking about this, the amazing significance of Christ's birth, and yet He was born in this situation that would be uh, modest at at best, right? Modest would be stretching the, the, the term there. And so we have, we have then this birth of Christ in these very modest circumstances. And, and the scene we have with the shepherds and the angels is happening parallel here. So, so Jesus is born. He's, 
he's, he's in this manger. He's, he's arrived finally after, after all these announcements and the waiting that has been taking place. And then simultaneously out in the fields, we get this interesting scene with the shepherds and the angels once again announcing the birth of Christ. This time, though, it's not an announcement of things that are to come. It's something that has just taken place. And we'll get to see, see especially the angels and the shepherds' response to that. And so there's really two parts to the angels' song. There's the, there's the proclamation, the, the announcement that, that the king has been born. But then there's also this, this moment of spontaneous praise as well. So we're going to take a look at that as well as the shepherds' response to those things together this morning. So first we want to focus on what the angels had to say about this newborn king. It says here in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, The angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And so we see uh, that, first of all, that the birth of Christ is good news that will cause great joy for all people. The word here, good news, is the word that we, we often think of as gospel. It's the same word there. That the gospel is good news in and of itself. That same word is, is, is used here and throughout the gospels to describe the ministry of Christ. Jesus' birth is good news for all people. And it's the beginning because it's the beginning of God's redemptive plan. Now, I'm going to probably come off as a little bit of a nerd here for a second. I hope you, you can all bear with me. But when I was growing up, and, and still today, one of, my, <clears throat> excuse me, one of my favorite books, one of my favorite movies is Lord of the Rings. Um, I'm sure many of you can, can relate to that. But for those of you who can't, just bear with me for a moment. Um, the, the, first, the first book, The Fellowship of the Ring, um, the first part of that story is describing how Frodo, the main character, right, came into possession of the ring that, that needed to be eventually destroyed. If you, uh, hopefully I don't spoil a, a 50-year-old book for anybody here. But, um, but, but the first part of that book is dedicated to Frodo trying to bring the ring to this, to this council so that they can decide what to do with it. And so you think, okay, Frodo's part is simply just going to be delivering this ring, and then, and then they'll figure out what to do with it. And so he finally arrives, and the people are arguing, and there's this really big disagreement about what they should do with this ring and how they should handle this situation. And in that moment, Frodo steps up and he says, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. I will take the ring to Mordor, right? I'll take it there to be destroyed. Um, and, and, and it's in that moment that scene where Frodo steps up and then others volunteer to assist him and help him, that's like the, the point in the book and the point in the movie, if you're not much of a reader, right, is, is that's the, the beginning of the, the plot, right? All of the stuff that came before that simply was there to set the stage for what was to come. And it's in that moment that a decision by Frodo to stand up, the decision by others to come alongside him and help, and the fellowship was formed, that that really set the rest of the story in motion. It was that scene that was pivotal and set the stage for everything else that was to come later on. Uh, in the same way, this, this birth of Christ is, is setting the stage for what is to come. It's that moment, it's that, that point in the story, it's that point in the narrative where things begin to turn. For all of human history, right, people had been looking forward to the Messiah that was to come. 
God's people had heard all about the Savior who was going to come and save the world, but it was all something that was going to happen sometime in the future. It was all something that was going to take place later on. But finally here with this announcement that Christ has finally been born, it's like that moment where the plot begins to thicken. All of a sudden we see the stage has been set and now we're going to see how God is finally going to resolve that sin problem that he's been, that, that the Bible has been talking about and describing and dealing with in detail from the beginning of time. The birth of Christ sets the stage and, and, uh, sets up this, this moment and, and this time for God to finally deal with the sin problem. And He'll do that through the birth of His Son. And it's an interesting par- parallel. I talked about the humble circumstances of Christ's birth. Going back once again to the Lord of the Rings, you get nine individuals who stand up and say, I'll, I will destroy the ring. I will, I will face this great evil and this great threat. And you look at this group and you think, Them? <laughs> Right? How are they going to accomplish this? How are they going to solve this problem and this issue that's, that they're facing? And in the same way, just thinking of the humble circumstance of Christ's birth, this little baby born into an, indiscre- an out-of-the-way family and an out-of-the-way place with hardly any fanfare, you think, this is the king? This is the one that, that God has chosen? This is the one that God has sent to save the world from its sin? What hope could we possibly have? You see, the circumstances of Christ's birth were, were completely contrasting the reality of who He was and what He had come to do. And so the good news, the Gospel, is that Jesus has finally come. God has, has set the pieces in motion for our, for our salvation. And that is a reason to celebrate. It is a reason for great joy. Jesus' arrival is not something to fear. In fact, it's something we should rejoice in. God has come to set His people free from sin and from death. One of the passages that was already read this morning as part of the Advent candle lighting was was John 3, verses 16 and 17. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That is a reason to celebrate. That is a reason to, to praise God and to worship Him. And the angel describes Jesus with three different terms. He says, Jesus is first Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And those are all very three, three very important ways to think about Jesus and what He had come to this world to do. First of all, He was the Savior. He is the one who saves us from our sin. God's people thought that the Savior would come to them to free them from political oppression. They had been um, one kingdom after another had ruled over God's people for centuries now. First it was the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and now it was the Romans. And so God had uh, promised the Savior, this Deliverer. And so, so the people thought that He was coming to set them free from this political oppression. But in reality, He had done something even greater than that. Jesus has come to set us free from our sin and from the consequences of sin. He has set us free from death itself, which is an even greater enemy than Rome ever was. So God has sent His Son Jesus to be our Savior, to save us from our sin. And He's also our Messiah. Messiah is the, the Hebrew term. Christ would be the Greek term, but they both mean the chosen one or the anointed one. Jesus is the one who was going to do that. All the promises that God had made for His people throughout um, 
from, from Genesis and, and Adam and Eve and Abraham all through Israel and Moses and Mount Sinai, all those promises that God had made to his people would come to fulfillment and conclusion in Christ. He is the chosen one, the Messiah, the Christ, the long-expected uh, Savior to come. And they also call him Lord. And that's a very important term as well because not only does Jesus save us from our sins, but he asks us to submit to him as Lord as well. He is our master. He is our ruler. He is our authority. And, and so we as, as Christ followers need to not only acknowledge that he has saved us, but we need to acknowledge that he is, he is Lord of our lives and he is the one that's in charge and we should therefore submit to him in, in every way and in everything. So Lord reminds us that he is in charge, that he is the one who has the authority. But Lord also connects Jesus to God the Father. See, repeatedly, God the Father in the Old Testament is referred to as the Lord. And so to call this newborn baby Savior, Messiah, and Lord was a very significant thing because, because the angel was, was pointing to the reality that this isn't just any old person, right? This isn't just another baby, no matter how special he was. This was God himself in the flesh. The Lord had come to be with his people. Once again, that's the, the significance of that term Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the, the perfect example of God coming to be with his people. And to call Jesus Lord is also a statement of our allegiance. One of the most common ways to, to pledge allegiance to Caesar in that day was to make the statement, make the confession that Caesar is Lord. And so to call this newborn baby a king, to claim that Jesus is Lord is to say that Caesar is not. Right? That was a big statement. That was a big deal in that day. And so to celebrate Jesus as the newborn king, the Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord was very significant. I think sometimes those words get kind of whitewashed in our vocabulary. But they were very radical, very important terms, and very significant in the life of Jesus. And so finally, the angels then tell them that there will be a sign uh, that, that this baby that they're describing, the Savior, Lord, and Messiah, wasn't born in a palace, but was born in a manger. And they would find him there. And then after this announcement, <clears throat> it says that there, this angel is, is joined then by a whole company of the heavenly host. Now, host is not someone who just opens their door for someone else, right? When we think of, when we think of the word host now, we think of a host as someone who, who opens their home to others and entertains them. But the heavenly host, that is an, it's an old term, and a host was a, is, a, is a military term. It was a unit in the army. So, so these weren't just, uh, uh, just those little baby angels that we often think of, right, floating on clouds and, and playing their harp. This was a, a company of the heavenly army. These were, these were um, angels that explain why they have to say, fear not, right? Just standing in their presence, what it must have been a terrifying thing seeing the whole, a whole host of, of the heavenly army standing there. And, the, and they come and they come to worship and to praise God for the birth of this newborn king. And so a very familiar passage, glory to God in the highest and on earth, great peace to those on whom his favor rests. These angels were, were praising and worshiping the Lord for the birth of the Savior. 
Jesus' birth and subsequently his life and his death and his resurrection all bring glory to God. And what we're seeing here with the angel army is a glimpse of God's never-ending praise, which Jesus temporarily gave up to become human. One of my favorite aspects of the book of Revelation is, is, is this, these praise songs that are just sung over and over again. You get the glimpse into heaven of, of these angels and these, and these elders and the martyrs all, all taking time to praise God and worship God for what uh, for who he is and what he has done. And so, so this angel army that's standing here is, is giving us a glimpse into what is happening in heaven all of the time. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8 says, Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered, excuse me, they were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God the Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. And so what we're seeing here with the birth of Jesus, it's like heaven is just opening up just a little bit. And we get to see these these angels who never stop day and night praising God. For just a moment, the shepherds got to witness that out in the fields. (coughs) Excuse me. And so they praise God, they give Him glory, but they also make the statement that there is peace towards those whom God favors. See, Jesus is our peace. Peace cannot be separated from our connection to Him. If you want to experience true, lasting peace, you must know Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 says this, For He, speaking of Jesus, is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in His flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, by which he put the, he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. See, it's only in and through Christ that we have true peace. See, peace is not just the absence of conflict, but it's the confident assurance that no matter what we are facing in this world, we are right with God and that can never be taken away from us. That's peace. Peace is having confidence and hope and assurance in the midst of conflict, in the midst of the storm, that God will never leave nor forsake us, that God is with us. And it's all possible through what Christ has done for us on the cross. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Him, and we are healed by His wounds. See, true lasting peace comes through knowing Christ and and receiving what He has done for us on the cross. And so we see that we, we learn a lot about who Jesus is and what He's done for us through the angel's message. But we can also learn a lot through the response of the shepherds. So the first thing that they do after hearing this, after hearing the angel and after hearing their praise for God is that they hurry to see Christ. They responded to the angel's announcements by going to see this newborn king with their own eyes. You know, I think of, uh, remember, Back in, during my childhood on Christmas morning, I remember I just could not wait 
to wake up and to go downstairs and to see all the presents under the tree and finally unwrap them and see what I had, what I had gotten for Christmas. I remember like waking up early in the morning and just lying in bed and thinking, okay, is it time yet? Can I go? Can I head downstairs? I always had to wait for my parents to come and get us, right, before we were allowed to get up and go. Nowadays, I wish you could wait in a little bit longer. <laughs> but that same, that anticipation, that, that sense of urgency was there on Christmas morning. And it's the same sense of anticipation and urgency that the shepherds put on display here. As soon as they heard the news, as soon as they heard these angels praising God, they went and they rushed to go see this newborn Christ. They did not hesitate. Right? They didn't wait. They didn't have to pray about it. They heard and they responded immediately and trusted in the good news. So the question for you is, when was the last time that you hurried to Christ? When was the last time you were so full of anticipation and excitement and joy that you just couldn't wait to get out of bed and, and spend some time with the Lord? Our lives are so busy, we usually hurry and chase after other things. So this Christmas, we need to make sure that we hurry after Christ. We need to take time to focus on Him. Colossians 3, verses 1-3 through 3 says, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We need to set our mind on Him. We need to set our focus on Him and hurry to Him. The second thing the shepherds did is they spread the Word. They not only went to see the Christ, but they then shared the good news with others. If Jesus' birth is truly good news, how can we keep it to ourselves? See, joy is a contagious thing. And if we are truly joyful, if we truly rejoice in Christ and the newborn King, we should be willing to share that with others. And not just in, not, you know, we need to share our experience too. In order to share Christ, we don't have to be an expert in theology. It's not even necessary it's not even necessary to convince someone that you're right and they're wrong. That's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Our job is simply to share the impact that Christ has had on our lives. See, people can't argue with the transformed life and the impact that Christ has had. One of my favorite examples of this is from John chapter 9 with the man who was born blind. Many times in the Gospels when Jesus heals somebody, you know, there's just this healing and they kind of go on the way. But we get a glimpse of, of what happened after the fact in this situation. The religious leaders and the authorities began questioning this person um, about how he had received a sight back and, and, and the commotion that he was causing because of Jesus. And so they tried to get him to, to denounce that Jesus had actually done this, that it wasn't a miracle. But the man says, listen, I don't, I don't know who this person is. Excuse me, John chapter 9, verse 25, he answered, I don't know whether or not he's a sinner I don't know, but one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. That's the essence of sharing your faith with other people. You don't have to convince someone. You don't have to have a Bible memorized. All you have to do is say, this is who I was before Christ and this is the impact that he's had on my life. And people can't argue with that. You can't argue with a transformed life and the impact that Christ has had and simply sharing that love and that experience with others. So they, they, they hurried to Christ, they shared the good news, but they also glorified and praised God for what they had seen, just as the angels did. 
when we worship, we don't do it in isolation. We join the symphony of a never-ending praise. Like I said, the book of Revelation is a great example of that. And so when we, even here as we gather to worship God, as we sing His praises, we're simply joining in the praise and the worship that is already taking place. Worship is always a response to God. There's one other detail here I don't want you to miss. It's the, the shepherds glorified and praised God as they returned, as they went back to their everyday normal lives. It's easy to skip over this, but it's important to note that the shepherds didn't stay at the manger forever. They went back to their lives as shepherds, but they went back different. They were transformed. See, we can't always stay on the mountaintop as, hard, as much as we want to try. Sooner or later, we have to go back down to our ordinary, everyday lives. It's like going back to school after Christmas break, right? You don't want to do it, but you have to. But the good news is that God can be glorified and is glorified in the ordinary. Our faith makes every, impacts every aspects of, aspect of our lives. And so God can be glorified even in the mundane, even in the regular, not just at Christmas. The shepherds returned glorifying God. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I said we talk about the shepherd's response, but there's one more bonus response here I want to talk about, and that's Mary. can return to her story here. In verse 19, we get a glimpse of Mary's response in this situation as well. Because we see that the shepherd's response to Christ's birth transformed her too. It was more than just knowledge, but it was the experience of seeing the shepherds come and praise God and hearing all that they had to share had an impact on her as well says that she treasured these things up and, and pondered them in her heart. See, the lesson to be learned here is that our response to the good news of Christ, our response to His grace and His love has an impact on others. Mary's responding to what the shepherds had done. And so don't think that you're in this faith thing only for yourself. Don't think that as you gather here and um, today and any other Sunday, as you go about your everyday normal lives, that, that your faith doesn't have an impact on other people as well. We, have a, we can have a positive impact on those around us when we respond faithfully to God's work in our lives. I like to call it the ministry of presence. Not presence like under the Christmas tree, but presence, being with other people. You can have a positive impact simply by, by sharing a pew with someone by having a conversation, by an encouraging smile. It makes a big difference. And when you're not here, that impact is felt as well. Your absence or your lack of a faithful response to God's work in your life can have a negative impact on your family, your friends, and your fellow Christians. When you do not respond to God's grace, you're depriving yourself and others from your unique gifts and talents and your faithful obedience. See, faith is very relational. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. And so we need each other to encourage and to support and to equip. The body of Christ just wouldn't be the same if we were missing a limb. The family of God wouldn't be the same if it was missing some of its children. So, so just as the shepherds responded faithfully to what they heard, they had an impact on Mary. And she was able to treasure and ponder those things in her heart. 
And so your faithful response, your devotion to Christ can have a positive impact on those around you. And don't forget that, especially at this time of year, as we gather with family and friends to celebrate the birth of Christ. I want to close with these words from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather and to worship you this morning. Thank you for the good news of Christ. And I pray that we would, like the shepherds, respond by hurrying to you, by spreading the good news, Lord, and by glorifying and praising you in our everyday lives. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing the first verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, number 133. the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Just a reminder, there are some refreshments. Uh, We'll have a little bit of a break here, and then we'll be gathering together again for the children's program at 1030.